Welcome to 2D Pokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Robbie, we're in the dregs of summer, man. I want to get started talking about this season. It might be a little bit too early, but just going over the teams and what we're going to do today got me really pumped, man. Why don't you give us a cheers? How about a cheers to it being summer? I've been able to play some golf lately, took a little vacation. It's been nice so far. It's starting to get hot as hell, but I think we're somewhere around, I'll have my numbers off, but 75 days or so from college football getting started the first games, but let's cheers to that. We're we're cruising through. Things are starting to shake out on the recruiting trail. Obviously, we'll get into that here shortly, but cheers to making it through these tough months where before we get into fall practice and when things really start to get exciting. Cheers to the summer, man. And all of our news items are pretty much revolving around the recruiting trail. There was a bunch of commitments recently, none bigger than four-star wide receiver Trey Turner. He picked VT a couple weeks ago. He's a four-star across the board, and on rivals, he's as high as the 101st recruit in the country, which is pretty high for a Virginia Tech recruit. We don't get too many top 100 guys, and he's he's right at the edge there. And we had DJ Crossin, Cam Good, Daryl Simmons also commit, among others, we're not going to go into every single kid, but this class on the whole is starting to look really good. Me and Robbie were just talking about it off the air. We're number 20 on the 247 composite. We're number 12 or 13 in their in-house rankings, and on rivals, we're at 21 as well. So the class is looking really good. Yeah, it's starting to really shake out. I think, sadly, we lost Bryce Thompson at wide receiver and it seemed as though you never know whether people actually expect things to happen or if they're just paying lip service to wanting to seem like they have more knowledge. But some people had suspected that that was going to happen. There was questions about whether that could be he's actually going somewhere else, academics, uh, if he was on the bubble. But in any case, we lost him, which was a little bit unfortunate. But I think the pickups, uh, the four other pickups that or five, actually, that I had since our last uh, – our last podcast more than made up for that. Yeah, it's definitely taking shape, and that's what happens this time of year. June, the only real news that comes across the wire, because spring practice is over and fall camp hasn't started, is recruiting news. And on that front, our 2018 QB commit, Quincy Patterson, was named to the actual Elite 11. I think it's 12 kids, but he's part of the official Elite 11, which is a really big deal. And if you look at who's in and out of the Elite 11 over the years, there's a lot of big names that come through there, especially big college football names. And several pros have come through there, including our own Tyrod Taylor. And he is our last and only Virginia Tech player to go to the Elite 11 and be named one of the actual you know, Elite 11. And as a three-star, a lot of those kids are four-stars, five-stars. Yeah. And he did it. You know, coming out, and you sent out the tweet earlier about the praises that he was getting. It sounds like super bright kid, picks up on things quickly, hustles, and tries to learn as much as he could. And it seemed like he made a big jump on that final day of the Elite 11 to, to make it into 
where they head to what the Nike Open, I guess, is the the yeah. next step for that. Yeah, the opening, um, which is another big thing, which he can increase his uh, recruiting ranking, which it will probably go up in the near future here because he he won't he can't be a three star for long if he's an elite eleven and going to be competing at the opening. And the nice thing is with Dewan Ellis changing his position in recruiting st- uh, sense from a quarterback to an athlete. It looks like we could have our cake and eat it too with these two guys, you know, because with the speed of Dewan Ellis potentially becoming a wide receiver slash running back type, uh, and having Quincy Patterson come in and and get behind Josh Jackson and Hendon Hooker and be competing in that, we got a lot of options, and um, I'm just excited about the quarterback position going forward with with the way Patterson's progressing and all the good things we're hearing about him. With regard to MJ Walker, our basketball recruit. Uh, we talked about in our last podcast, we thought we might get this top 25 b-ball recruit, but it wasn't meant to be. He ended up picking FSU in a surprising turn of events where people thought he was going to pick UCLA because he was just there, but he picked FSU, and now we're going to have to play against him. But uh, our class as it was was already very good. I, again, tweeted out something about Neil Alexander Walker already being in Blacksburg and, and practicing in the facility, and, and that's really exciting. And whether or not we got MJ Walker, basketball is headed in the right direction. So it was surprising, but it's all good. Speaking of surprising news, Bob Stoops was has just announced last week that he's retiring from the University of Oklahoma. This is big, big college football news. And Lincoln Riley, a 33-year-old, is going to succeed him as the head coach of Oklahoma. We also had Thad Mata surprisingly being let go from Ohio State. So both of our uh, teams and our fan base was in a tizzy over will Buzz be the new Ohio State head coach? And for just a split second, is Fuente going to be a candidate at, at Oklahoma? But no, Lincoln Riley was named Oklahoma. We're safe there, I guess, for at least a couple years. Because if there's one job out there that Fuente could leave for, it could potentially be Oklahoma. But I think we're safe for a while. Yeah, that was a frightening 48 hours as people digested what was going on and I happened to be with my wife's family, who was all Ohio State fans, when the news broke about that up at Ohio State. And I didn't even put two and two together. But given their resources, understanding that their team has greatly underperformed in comparison to what they you know, were doing some years ago, they have a ton of resources. And in fact, a lot of people quoted as unlimited resources. So <laughs> that that's always a frightening opening, especially with what Buzz has been able to do thus far on the court and on the recruiting trail. And wasn't there some kind of incognito report of a plane coming from Columbus to Roanoke and and then it leaving and Buzz still being like, he may well have turned them down. Uh, we don't, you know, this is all speculation on our front, but it, it, it's... If nothing else, we kept Buzz for at least one more year because he's going to continue to be a hot commodity with what he's done for us. That's right. All right. So in this episode, we wanted to do uh, our team previews. We did this last summer where we just went over the first half of the schedule, and then another episode we'll go over the second half of the schedule. And it's like our season previews that we do during the year, but just a quick version. We'll just try to fire through the first six games. All we have to go off right now is just – the you know magazines that are out there and you know Bill Connolly at SB Nation and the Football Outsiders and what they're saying about the team coming into the season and we'll just start with Virginia Tech real quick as you know we finished 16th in the final AP poll we were 17th in the 2016 SNP 
and our projected S&P for this year from Bill Connolly is 25. Athlon has us at 25. We were picked second in the Coastal by them behind Miami. And Lindy's uh, College Football Preview Magazine has us at 29. Connolly also does a returning production metric in which he ranked us as the 92nd team in terms of returning production. So that's not terribly good, and we all know that was going to be the case with how much we were losing on offense. The typical numbers of returning starters doesn't always do it justice in terms of what you're returning. So we have that Connolly metric that we're going to talk about these teams with too. But that's kind of where Virginia Tech stands. Uh, In terms of our schedule, I noted that about half of the teams we play, ECU, Clemson, Miami, Pitt, UNC, West Virginia, all of them are ranked 113th or worse in returning production. That number also doesn't tell the whole story just because you have transfers and new quarterbacks that are coming in for these teams. But it's interesting to note that a lot of the teams that we play have lost a lot and more than us. So that's at least slightly comforting. I also texted Robbie earlier talking about the returning QBs for the opposing teams we're going to be playing. And only one team is returning their starter from last year. And that is just fascinating to me. I think that's the most telling of of all the stats is while we may be in flux in terms of what our quarterback is going to, you know, who's going to be under center and what that's going to end up looking like, as opposed to last year where I would characterize and I'll use this in quotes, the elite teams, UNC and Miami, the teams that we are really worrying about, were all returning their quarterback, and we were coming out with a new quarterback. This year, it's almost a little bit more of a level playing field in that almost everybody we're going up against, almost 100% of them are all going to have somebody new under center. And most people don't know who that's going to be. A lot of the preview magazines are guessing at this point because – they may get a read, they may have inside sources, but so much can change, especially going into fall camp on who's going to end up starting for those teams. And I'll give our listeners about three seconds to guess who that one returning starter is. Robbie, do you know who it is? Um, well, it, there's one that could be, but no, I don't. It's Daniel Jones at Duke. Oh, that's he's, right. And he's that's the not only good. one. No, that's not good for us because Daniel Jones is quite good. But UVA, uh, they have Kurt Benkert still, but he was benched later in the season for Matt Johns. And so it depends on how you want to interpret that, but they don't have a clear-cut starter by any means. And WVU is one of the only teams with a clear-cut starter in Will Greer, who we're going to talk about shortly, but he might not even be cleared to play. So... We're at a distinct advantage. Now, we're like we just talked about, we don't have our own quarterback right now. But with the one year sample size that we do have, I'm confident that we'll put someone on the field that will, you know, be very serviceable. Yeah, if that's, I feel good about that being our biggest, one of our bigger question marks, I guess, at this point is Fuente being able to find somebody out of the three guys to start that's going to be productive, just like he ended up doing last year. All right, so do you want to get into West Virginia? 
Not particularly, considering they hold. <laughs> evidently, they hold the Black Diamond Trophy. So uh, I think we're gonna have to clarify that uh, if Holgerson. Oh, yeah, what was what is that exactly? How is that possible? Well, Holgerson just isn't paying attention. I think his <laughs> maybe his memory is going with his his hair loss or something along those lines. So yeah, so uh, we're review we're renewing the rivalry that when me and you were in school was an every year thing and quite exciting, if not hateable. Uh, every time we played West Virginia, it just was the absolute worst. If you beat them, you loved it. And if you lost to them, I, and I was sick about it for three days. And that's definitely going to be the case this year too. This is something that these newer students at Virginia Tech really need to embrace the hate of West Virginia. Because for me, at least, it was always way more than UVA. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For me as well. A lot of people have this deep hatred for UVA that far surpasses. For me, it's definitely West Virginia. And there's the Big East ties. There's a lot there. I know that there are a lot of disgruntled uh, Hokie fans that don't like us playing because of potentially fan base issues. But take take that and separate it from the actual football aspect and... I think it's a really good thing for for us and for the Mountaineers to get this rivalry going again because it has a lot of impact. It has some history to it, and it's meaningful outside of the fact that maybe some people don't want to be in the stands next to some other rowdy couch burners. So the last time we played West Virginia was 2005. Marcus Vick as you may remember, was our quarterback. And I'm pretty sure he flipped the bird to the entire West Virginia stands in that game. I I hope I'm recalling that correctly. I'm pretty sure that I am. Uh, the game is on Sunday, September 3rd, Labor Day weekend at FedEx. The place is going to be electric. Uh, there will probably be fights. And um, it should be pretty pretty wild down in, uh, down in D.C. that weekend. Last year, West Virginia went 10-3. and three. They were 7-2 and two in the Big 12. They finished 18th in the AP poll, and it was the best season under Daner Holgerson at West Virginia. They were tied for second in the Big 12. Athlon projects them this year at 26. Lindy's has them at 22. And their projected SNP by Bill Connolly, though, is 69th. So while they have all, like basically top 25 fringe top 25 projections coming from magazines and, and just prognosticators in general, Bill Connolly says they could be far worse uh, to the tune of five and seven. And his returning metric, his returning production metric is, is the reason why they're 128th in terms of returning production. As I said earlier, that doesn't tell the whole story because they do have Will Greer coming back and it's hard to account for that. They have guys who missed a year with an ACL uh, transfers, whatever else. But still, they lost a ton of production. And for me, Robbie, I think that's a, a huge reason why I'm, I don't know if they're going to be a top 25 team. I, they could be if, if Greer comes in and is allowed to play the first six games and everything comes together. But I, I kind of am leaning that, that they, they're probably going to be on the outside of the top 25 when the season is all over. Yeah, I I think as well. They might be outside the top 25 once people start to really pay more attention in fall practice. And 
once people really focus in, Bill Connolly's stats carry a lot of weight throughout the community uh, and in people doing reviews and things like that. So I think there's potential that even before the season starts, they'll drop out. The question is, because it's the Sunday game, you know, and there's always the the question mark of what ESPN's trying to line up in terms of matchups. Do they, you know, try and stuff them in there just to to make sure that there's a good matchup on that that Sunday night game? But I think that they'll end up dropping just based on the returning players that are coming in. The biggest storyline for West Virginia is the QB thing. We've already mentioned it a couple times, but Will Greer, if you remember, played for Florida a couple years ago, had a great first six games, could throw, was going through progressions, could run, uh, and then he got hit with a PED suspension, something we never see in college football. I, I can't recall anyone else getting it off the top of my head and definitely no one more high profile. He had to sit out, then he transferred, and the question on the appeal is whether his sit-out year would cover the suspension. And they have they have an appeal in with the NCAA to see if he can play, but he might have to sit out the first six games. That will probably come down later in the summer. But if he does play, he's a dangerous, dangerous player, and the fact that he can run it on the ground and what they did with Skylar Howard last year on the ground really makes me nervous for this offense because – They've got a ton of skill talent. Yeah, I think the assumption that we have to take is that he's going to play. That's the only way to preview this team. Because if he doesn't, I think things shift in our direction pretty substantially. He is a very talented quarterback. And in the games that he did play, I know you were watching a bunch of the, the you know highlights of, of him when he was at UF. He is extremely talented, but I think we have to make the assumption that the appeal is going to clear and that he's going to be in that game, and we're going to have to deal with that. Granted, he is. He's coming into a new program. He's coming into a new offensive setup, so there's going to be a learning curve for him, and this is game one. Right, and that definitely plays to our advantage. We, You're right. The, I would think that this thing's, you know, he's not going to be suspended. I think the appeal will probably go through and it will all be good and, and they'll have Greer. And him in combination with Justin Crawford at running back and Karan White at wide receiver, they could have a potent offense. They have a couple other guys that looked good in spring at wide out and another couple bodies at wide receiver, I mean, at running back. They're actually pretty deep at running back. They're returning almost 2,000 yards of running backs and fullbacks. And the only weak link on the offense will be that offensive line. It, they, they lost five of their top seven offensive linemen. Yeah, I think the running back uh, with Crawford, I think he had about 1,200 yards or so last year. That, that frightens me, but it's mitigated a bit because they lost three of their starters on the offensive line. And one of those, I think, was the second-team All-American uh, offensive lineman for them. So... They had one of the kind of the best offensive lines in the Big 12 last year, but there's a lot of depth that they lost. On the wide receiver side, you mentioned White. There's also Javon Durante. Those were their number two and I think number four in terms of production last year. But there's also, you know, there's some question marks because White's coming back off of a broken leg from last year, a consistent theme. There was a lot of injuries on WVU squad last year. And you have people coming back, whether it's ACL, broken leg, otherwise. 
that, you know, you just know, never know if they're going to be the same player when they come back. You hope that they are, and you hope they have a successful career, but it does leave some question marks on, on, on the talent, at least in the receiving core. If we want to get happy, let's talk about their defense because this was a strength for them last year, but they just lost so much in terms of returning talent. Their best linebackers gone and Justin aren't. Uh, they have no returning starters on the defensive line, and two sophomores are going to play at defensive end. They only had 23 sacks last year, and that was with a much more veteran front. Uh, d- defensive line is probably their worst position on the team, I'd say. And linebacker gets a little bit better because they've got Benton and David Long coming back, the second and sixth leading tacklers. Uh, but five of the six top DBs are gone. Drayvon uh, Askew-Henry, I think it is, who had an ACL tear last year, is coming back at defensive back. But the rest, almost everybody else, I think everybody else is, is gone from a starter standpoint. And uh, unless uh, they can gel really quickly, I think they're going to struggle, especially early on, on the defensive side of the ball. So I feel, I feel pretty good about that, assuming that we can, we can get our act together early in the season. Agree. There's just one guy I did want to mention on their defense, Kazir White, who's the brother of Karan White. Um, he plays the spur linebacker for WVU, and it's really it's like our whip linebacker. It's a hybrid between a safety and a linebacker, and they call it the spur rather than the whip. And White is a dynamic player. He he had 47 t- solo tackles, seven tackles for loss, three sacks, and five breakups. He's very versatile. And with those other linebackers, which is probably their strongest position, that could cause us some problems. But I think their defense is definitely going to be worse than last year. And they were only 73rd from a total defense standpoint. So we're going to be able to move the football. I don't care who's playing quarterback for us. We're going to be able to move the football a little bit on West Virginia. And likely they're going to be able to move the football a little on us. This could be... I don't want to say shootout because I think our defense is going to be pretty good, but it could be on the higher scoring type of thing since it's, since it's the week week one and, you know, maybe not everything's all set on the D and, you know, they, they catch us in some kind of, you know, unique formation they're using and we have never seen their quarterback and, you know, strange things can happen. I just feel like the score could get, oddly high in this game. I don't know if you feel the same way. No, I, I agree with that. There's only one other kind of piece to this before I guess we'll talk about, you know, how we how we think this game's gonna shake out in terms of wins and losses. But Will Greer at you know at Florida, you know, we always joke around about DBU, but he spent his time practicing against really good defensive backs, uh, which I think plays to the benefit of of our quarterbacks having to go up against, you know, at least on the first team, our defensive backs are usually pretty stellar. I think that gives him a little bit of even added advantage that he's used to going up in practice and seeing the different looks. Um, you can say what you will, but, you know, of the four teams that usually get mentioned from, you know, DBU or otherwise, you know, Florida, where he came from, is one of them. I think that one of the things and the themes of this game is going to be both quarterbacks running wild. (laughs) That's kind (laughs) of how I see it going because the defenses, I guess they tend to be ahead of the offenses early in the season because offense is more based on rhythm. But the one thing that defenses can't account for are running quarterbacks. And 
based on the film I saw of Greer, he can run, and based on what Dana Holgerson likes to do, he will run. And Hooker or Jackson, and based on what Gerard Evans did last year, they're going to be running too. That's exactly right. I, I still have this as a – given all of the losses that they have, on the, especially on the defensive side of the ball, I feel like our defense is going to – and I think they're going to put up yards. I think they're going to put up points. But I think our defense is going to be the game changer in this, and I think that's why we will end up pulling out a W here. Yeah, it's going to come down to how well our linebackers play. I That's – that's going to be a huge key in this game. Tremaine and Motua Puaka and Mook are all going to have to have really, really good games. And I expect them to. I expect Tremaine Edmonds to play at an All-American level all year. And I think this stage is set for him to have a really big breakout game. You're talking about a guy who had 18 in the 18.5 tackles for loss, top 20 in the country, as a sophomore. You know, he's... Tremaine is a stud, and he's going to be the X factor for this defense. And if he has a good game in this game, him and Mook, we're we're going to be set. We're gonna we're gonna be able to win this one. Right now, I do think it's kind of a coin flip. Uh, I it's tough to call a winner on this one, man. And if Greer doesn't play, like you said, it would skew in our direction. Uh, if he does play, this thing's going to come down to the wire. I really I really believe it could be like a three point game. And I'm hoping we come out on top. All right, let's move on to Delaware, week two. This is our first home game of the season, Saturday, September 9th. Last year, Delaware finished 4-7 and seven for anyone that cares out there. We all know what this game is. This is a pay someone to come to your house so you can whip their butt game. Uh, me, being from the state of Delaware, the Blue Hens are a little bit more near and dear to my heart. I had a lot of friends from high school that went there. I will be attending this game. And I'm excited about it. I uh, should have a lot of people there that I know and all having a good time. And I'll hopefully be showing Virginia Tech to a lot of new people. So the weekend for me won't necessarily be about the game. But based on what happened against West Virginia, we're probably going to need to tweak some things against the Blue Hens. And they're not supposed to be very good. This is probably similar to how good Liberty was last year, maybe worse. They did just hire a new coach, uh, Danny Rocco from Richmond, who has a really good reputation, three straight FCF playoff appearances, is by all intents and purposes a really, really good coach and a really, really good hire for UD. They play in essentially the class of the uh, the FCS in terms of their conference. The Colonial Athletic League is home to JMU, who just won the national title, and Villanova, who's, who's always really good. The... Blue Hens are coming off back-to-back losing seasons for the first time since 1939. Historically, they are a pretty good FCS team. It doesn't really matter when it comes to to these kind of games. I mean, as long as we're not playing, you know, the number one or number ten team in FCS, we probably don't have too much to worry about, and that's the case with UD. But there are some things that you know we might want to want to be careful of. I mean, Liberty had a lead on us in the first quarter. And this could be similar if we're not careful, but I ultimately expect to to you know beat them by thirty plus points. Yeah, if this game was a couple years from now, then I'd be a little bit more concerned. Rocco is a tremendous hire. He did well at Liberty. Everybody knows. I think actually knows the Spiders now because of what Richmond was able to do under his tenure. 
Um, like you said, back-to-back FCS playoff appearances, was National Coach of the Year finalist, I think, five times in the past 10 years at the FCS level, which is absurd. Um, and then six conference championships, I think, with five different quarterbacks, which I thought that was a pretty amazing stat. This is more about him than anything else, and he might be able to put together a scheme that gives us a little bit of heartburn at one point, but I, I fully expect this to be a W, and maybe three, four years now from now, that could be you know one of those pothole JMU games, but I don't, I don't see that this year. Yeah, they're they're going to be better than uh, Lindy's picked them ninth in the CAA this year. They're going to be better than that, but probably not right off the bat. It's going to take Rocco a few weeks to to get it underway, and maybe they'll finish, you know, fourth or fifth in the CAA. Like I said, it's a good league for FCS, um, but early on, UD's going to they're going to take their lumps. They've got a competition at quarterback. Uh, they brought in a, a transfer from App State. Uh, one note I thought was kind of interesting, their defensive coordinator at UD is Chris Kosh, who played linebacker at Virginia Tech from 77 to 81. So they got a hokey on the staff. Uh, but otherwise, there's not too much to speak of. I mean, Rocco's a defensive-minded coach. Richmond was number 11 in total defense last year in FCS and number 8th in turnovers gained. So... Like I said, this is could be like the Liberty game. If we turn the ball over early, we could find ourselves down three to seven points. But when you invite an FCS team into your house, you give up 10 points or less, and you score 30 points or more. That's what you do. So I expect us to do that. Fuente showed us that's what we do last year uh, to the early teams that we played that weren't up to snuff with us. We kicked their butt. So. You know, we're going to invite UD down to get their whooping, and you know, I'll, we'll all hopefully have a good time at that game. <laughs> I I couldn't agree more. All right, let's do a quick beer break before we move on to ECU. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I am having. I went up to Connecticut uh, for a family thing. A couple, I guess, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. And I was able at a liquor store to pick up uh, a sip of sunshine, which is not easy to to come by, and they have to pull it out of the you know the back of the the liquor store if you you ask for it. And I got a couple of those. It's probably the most expensive beer that I've had on the podcast because to bring it back, I I forgot to put it in my sister's car, so I had to fly it back, meaning I had to check my bag. <laughs> so it's a whatever it cost plus twenty five dollars to check my bag is what it ended up running me um it's brewed by the longest name that's ever existed lawson's finest liquids at two roads brewery but it's just i think most people just know it well some people know it as just lawson's and then other people refer to it as you know the two roads brewing and it's delicious it's it's one of the probably more maybe not as well known but probably a top 100 top 50 ipa um, in the world and it tastes just like it. Uh, I'm drinking it a little less fresh, but I'm also going off a of memory when I had a couple of them when I was up in Connecticut and it's delicious. I, I would highly suggest it if you're ever able to get your hands on it. And you did tweet out the picture of that can, uh, maybe a couple weeks ago. So take a look at that and hopefully you can find it somewhere to our listeners. I'm drinking the Hardywood Tropication and, I picked this up when I was down in Charlottesville uh, doing a little family trip down there. It was actually my first trip to Charlottesville uh, 
in in actuality, I'd passed through a few times, but it had never done anything there. There's a Hardywood, uh, what they call a pilot brewery, where they do several pilot brews there, and they had this tropication in cans. And this is an absolutely delicious IPA, 7.5% alcohol, and it's probably the the best beer I've had at least in the last six months. Uh, it's absolutely excellent. The Hardywood tropication. I know we've done a bunch of Hardywood beers, but I got this and it was so good. I was like, I just have to have it on the podcast. It's it's tremendous. So we said we were going to fire through these previews, and that's what we're going to try to do for these next few. We've already talked probably for for too long already. We're going to try to speed it up. You might want to listen to this podcast in pieces, but uh, we got four more teams to go, and then we're going to answer a couple questions that we got on Twitter. And uh, then we're going to call it a pod before I do our next one. But the next team we're previewing is East Carolina. And it's Saturday, September 16th, and it is in Greenville. So we never like going to North, to East Carolina. It's it's caused us problems in the past. But based on the way Fuente took care of ECU last year, I'm feeling a little bit better about the matchup, even if it's on the road. They were 3-9 and nine last year and 1-7 in the AAC, and they were 100th in the S&P. Athlon projects them at 112th. Lindy's projects them at 109th. And Bill Connolly's projected S&P is 100, which would match their exact S&P from last year and projects them to have a 4-8 record. Uh, that's not that's not too good. This, this ECU team, they should be one of the worst teams on our schedule. Their returning production is 113th. They had their worst season in 12 years last year under new head coach Scotty Montgomery. That's not good for him. But there are reasons to be optimistic, I think. Uh, Me and Robbie talked about one uh, a couple days ago in that they have a transfer from Duke, Scotty Montgomery's former place of employment, in QB Thomas Cirque, someone that all Tech fans probably don't remember too fondly. How can we get rid of Thomas Cirque is if this is the question that I have. So what, <laughs> what we played him in 2014 and 15 when he was at Duke and then he was granted another year of eligibility after his injury which benefited us I think last year and then he shows back up on our schedule as a transfer into ECU which is a team that we already hate having on our schedule anyway. So as much as there is to be optimistic in this game based on what they're returning, it's just not a great storyline, and it's nothing that we uh, we aspire, especially when we're going to ECU to play despite you know what they lose in terms of production. What I would say, though, is Thomas Sirk is the only, at least, it's the only thing about this game, other than it being on the road, that makes me very concerned. If they didn't have Sirk coming in, I would be, I'd be feeling really, really good, uh, but they do. And he, like I said, he's reunited with his former offensive coordinator Scotty Montgomery. Uh, he's certainly a dual threat with those in- inverted veer style punishing runs that he had against us two years ago when he scored four touchdowns in Blacksburg and beat us in quadruple overtime. Uh, really, really fun game up until we lost. <laughs> in in 2015, he completed 59% of his passes and had 800, 
rushing yards in addition to his 2,600 passing yards. 35 total TDs in his time at Duke, 16 of which were rushing. So he's definitely a threat on the ground. There is the caveat that Gardner Minshew, a guy who filled in last year for Philip Nelson, could win this quarterback job and is more of your straight-up passing quarterback. Uh, He completed also 59% of his passes, eight touchdowns, four interceptions last year in, in backup duty. So it's not 100% to Cirque, but we've seen this before that when a coach gets a transfer, someone he's familiar with, that guy is going to play. Uh, it's it's going to be Cirque. I can't imagine it would be the other guy. Um, but, hey, we've seen ECU play two quarterbacks in the past, so so maybe we'll see it again this year. But I'm just glad James Summers and Zay Jones are gone. <laughs> yeah, and Summers, we all remember the way that he played against us. But even above and beyond that, if you take the season as a whole or seasons as a whole, Zay Jones was like the FBS receptions leader. It was he was a monster and him being gone, I think, leaves a big hole. Um, They have K. Was it Quay Johnson? Uh, It looks like he's probably going to come back and, you know, is going to be somebody to keep your eye on as well as Jimmy Williams. But I, I think we're. I think we're set at that position other than what Cirque may do to us once again. And I can't wait till he's gone at running back. They have a Tennessee transfer coming in, uh, Daryl Scott, but it's running back by committee. They have four guys back there and their leading returning rusher is like fourth on the depth depth chart. So it's tough to see and understand what's going to end up, you know, coming out of the backfield there in, in terms of the running game. But I feel relatively comfortable that Cirque's going to start, but we should be able to hold down this this offense based on what they lost. Yeah, I mean, Summers wasn't a QB by the end of his career. He was their leading rusher. I mean, that's that's what he did for them. And this committee of running backs that you mentioned, like none of them are real standouts. We don't know what Darrell Scott could be. He's a former, you know, pretty high recruit by UT, but. I, I don't think with this offensive line, uh, they should be above average, but nothing special that they're going to be running the ball. I mean, they were sixth in pass offense last year as a team, and they had to pass a lot because they were down a lot. But Montgomery likes to to get it in the air, and uh, with a guy like Cirque, who you know can run too, it's going to be a true true dual threat. And with the wide receivers they have, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a little little bit dicey on offense. It's just that hopefully we can make them one-dimensional and um, you know eliminate that running game and just focus on Cirque, basically. Yeah, and they allowed an abysmal two and a half sacks a game last year. It was not it was not good. Three of those offensive linemen come back. They have to be improved because I don't think it could be worse than it was last year. But I don't think that's going to be enough to really do damage to us. And I think they were like close. They were really really far down and if not towards the last in the nation in turnover ratio. So I, I have a lot of confidence in us being able to shut it down, even if Cirque's under center. Yeah. They were last in forced turnovers and also last in sacks. So let's transition to that defense that was last in sacks. They're employing a four, two, five this year. Uh, they've always run that 3-4 that we've seen with the big fat man in the middle. That was historically what we've always seen. They're changing it up this year, and they have two starters back on that D-line, 
But with the transition to a four-man front, it's going to be weak. That's they only they're they lost two seniors on the DL, and like I said, they got they have two new positions to fill. So linebacker will be okay with Jordan Williams back and Giannis Bowden back, but that D line is going to suffer. Their back end is good. I'd say their their back seven will be solid, but the D line is going to struggle, and that's really good for us who has questions about our own offensive line. I think there's going to be some holes for running backs, holes for a running quarterback, and that dink and dunk game and that you know that that middle tier passing game that Fuente has has come to really you know focus on that could be open for us. Yeah, it's a new defensive line coach, a new secondary coach. There's a lot of turnover on that defensive side. I think that I think that we should be able to move the ball in this game. And for me, uh, I'm I'm chalking this up much more of a win against ECU than I would have in prior years when we go in and we've kind of learned to be skittish about it. There's a there's a lot moving around on on this team from a coaching perspective and from an alignment perspective on the defense. You can't going from you know that three man front to the four man front. That's not an easy transition, especially when you have returners coming in that now have to figure out how to play in that different defensive scheme. Yeah, I wrote down that if they had Ruffin McNeil still as their head coach, I would think that they could compete for their division in the AAC. But to me, Scotty Montgomery has a long way to prove that he's a decent head coach. Their only two FBF wins last year were UConn and NC State. And we know NC State was good or bad. Like they were Jekyll and Hyde last year. We don't you know, that that's a weird one, you know, and they beat them early on, but later in the season they couldn't beat anybody. The only team they beat was UConn, and UConn got blanked thirty to nothing by Boston College. Like they were they were bad. So Montgomery has a lot to prove this year. If he has another year like last year, he's gonna be in the hot seat real, real quick. The fact that they um, got rid of Ruffin is now looking we thought it at the time, and I think we talked about it on the podcast as a stupid move. It's looking even dumber at this point. It just was not a huge. I thought he was a pretty talented coach, and they should have kept him around. So, you know, all the better for us. But that was not a good move. So I, this is what I wrote down. They're going to score seventeen on us again, like they did last year. Last year we beat them fifty-four to seventeen, and it could have been even worse. That was the game where. Uh, Gerard Evans had that crazy run like back and forth across the field, cutting back against the grain into the end zone. It was awesome. I think it was 55 yards. But they scored 17 on us last year, some of it in garbage time. But we're going to score 40 again, and they'll probably score 40, uh, 17. So I think we're going to beat them good, but I do think there will be moments where they're moving the ball down the field, and it's like, hey, what the hell, guys? Let's Let's get it together. Yeah, luckily it's early in the season. It'll help us work out the kinks, and I have full confidence in this game, and much more so than I've had before. It could be a really good game for whoever plays quarterback to sit in the pocket and make targeted passes because they have a terrible defensive line. The pass rush should be hopefully non-existent, and if that's the case, who's ever playing quarterback for us could really, you know, fine-tune whatever he's been working on the previous couple of weeks. Let's move on to ODU. 
another uh, another tune-up before the ACC slate gets started. And hopefully it's a tune-up because Old Dominion is a team that could be kind of dangerous. They're, they're very, very well coached. Uh, they've only been playing football since 2009. But in their initial season in FCS, they won nine games under Coach Bobby Wilder. He's still the coach now, and last year, and only his third year in FBS, he won 10 games, went 7-1 and in conference, won a bowl game for the first time in school history, and they're bringing back 14 of those starters this year. I, this ODU team, when you, you look into it more and more, you find more and more reasons to be a little bit nervous. I originally, and this probably happens every year, I saw him on the schedule. A lot of people were pissed off that we're starting to set up these home and homes with ODU, which when we're playing down in their territory might be helpful, I guess, for recruiting a little bit, even though we should be recruiting that area pretty well by now. And there's no there's no upside to this, and especially not with a team that is – it's a lose-lose for us unless we blow them out. It has to be an absolute blowout or else people are going to look at the scoreboard and and say what the hell happened in that game. Um, at first, I didn't really care that much, but then seeing the talent and seeing what Wilder has been able to do with the program since he's been there, it does it scares me a lot more than it probably should uh, for a team of this caliber, to your point. Yeah, I mean, you're right about that. It's just like ECU. I mean, we've always said that about ECU. No one cares if you beat them, but if you lose to them or even play them close, people are like, oh, I guess Virginia Tech's not all they're cracked up to be. You know, it's it's not awesome. It's good for them because they get to play an in-state team. And, you know, if, if we ever have to go to ODU, God forbid, which it might even be on the schedule, I don't know. It's You know, it's, it's in-state, and I guess that's good for travel costs and whatever else, but – this team is is not someone you want to have to play year in, year out. It really is like ECU, and they're on the way up. I, I don't see, unless they lose Bobby Wilder, uh, which could happen because he is a very good coach, uh, them taking too many steps back. I mean, even in FCS, they had record-breaking quarterback, and uh, I think it was Henke. Um, and as soon as they come up to FBS, they're good and you know competing for their – for their conference. So yeah, I don't, I don't like playing this team either. I don't think it does us any favors in terms of recruiting. Uh, people could argue that potentially, but I don't, I don't really see that. Um, the good thing for us is they don't have a quarterback right now. In fact, it's not just a one or two man race. I read as many as it could be four different guys, including a Juco transfer and a redshirt freshman uh, and a 5'10", 185 guy in Blake LaRussa, who only has 24 attempts in his career. But I will say Wilder has always gotten the most out of his quarterbacks, like Fuente. So I would assume whoever he picks for QB will be serviceable to not, you know, very serviceable. And by the third or fourth game of the season, they're probably going to really start to, you know, get the hang of things. Uh, we can hope that he starts someone, it's the wrong guy, and he falls on his face, and then the new guy has to play against us. But when you combine all the guys they're bringing back uh, at offensive line, wide receiver, the tandem of running backs they have, 
everything's there but the QB. So if they have a decent QB, this offense could give us our defense, uh, you know, some problems. Yeah, the, the Larissa Blake. In, I think it seems like he might be the front runner, at least what what you know the preview magazines are alluding to. The JUCO is from Fullerton, um, threw like thirty seven touchdowns last year, but we have no clue who's going to be under center. The running backs had twenty two hundred yards last year. Ray Laurie and Jeremy Cox. That's a little bit frightening. They did lose uh, a. About a thousand yard receiver in Zach Pascal, but everybody else returns. I think every almost every other person that yeah, caught a I pass. Every, nine wide receivers are coming back, all but the top one. Yeah. So uh they're gonna catch a lot of passes in this offense. ODU has always liked to move the ball through the air. It just so happens that this year they have a very good offensive line and two really good running backs. So they're gonna be balanced. Yep, I agree. And on the defensive side they also, I mean, they return a lot of experience there. They actually have some size for a team at this level that you wouldn't really expect um, at defensive tackle. Their end position is in really good hands, um, and I'm not even going to attempt to speak either of their names. They're uh, Bummy Routine Timmy and O'Shane Eximes. <laughs> they do not, not too easy uh, yeah. defensive ends. They're, both of them have very weird names, but... Mm-hmm. Their defensive line is loaded. Those guys had 11 and a half and 10 tackles for loss, respectively, and good backups as well. Yeah. I also read that they could have six guys rotate at defensive tackle. That sounds like us two years ago. I mean, who has six defensive tackles? That's, that's a lot, and their DBs are strong too. Yeah. And the games, I mean, to take it up a level, the games in Blacksburg, which is, which is nice, um, but my question mark for this game, even beyond all the returning talent they have, which is pretty deep uh, in, in, in most of the teams that we will face this year, it's probably one of the deepest. I suspect that we pull out a win, but I think a lot also hinges. They have UNC um, that they are going up against, and we're also looking ahead to the Clemson game. That's yeah. not a good formula. They have you if they yeah. come off a a UNC win and they're feeling, you know, pretty high and mighty, if they manage to pull that out and then we're looking ahead, that's not a good spot for this game whatsoever. Wait, so they have UNC the week before us? Yes. Okay. But if they do get a big win versus UNC, which is unlikely, but possible if they do win that game, wouldn't you think it would be a good spot for us? I mean, they'd be riding high and whatever else, but us being the week before Clemson is not good. I get that. Yeah, I think it could give them some confidence that they can take down some big boy teams, and that's that's my only thought is if they're coming in, uh, if they get crushed by UNC, I, I think morale of the team is probably going to be pretty low heading into Lane Stadium. Yeah, if they do beat UNC, I guess that would mean their quarterback is pretty damn good too, so that would be a problem for us. But. <laughs> I, expect, I don't think I expect a win here, but it's yeah. it's far more frightening of a matchup once I dug into the details than I ever would have expected. Yeah, the week before Clemson, you'd like to be playing Delaware that weekend. Uh, however, it is an in-state game. I you know some of these guys have to know each other. I would expect them to not overlook an in-state game. Hopefully, Fuente and the staff emphasize that. Um, but yeah, I mean. 
it's it's a it's a tough spot in the season to play this team. I'd I'd rather it be just about any other team on our schedule than ODU because they're the perfect perfect combination of you know feisty upstart but not a power five and it's it's kind of a it's kind of a good spot for them to play us really. Okay, moving on to Clemson, the big one, the one, the national champs in our house. I mean, it's so exciting. September 30th, fifth game of the season. And the beauty of that is for us is that we'll, you know, have our quarterback. Hopefully he's really starting to play well and he's ready and the offense is starting to click. The problem is for them, it could be the exact same thing (laughs) because they lost their top quarterback, you know, in, in Deshaun Watson, the historically good Heisman candidate that only comes along once every five to 10 years. They lost him. So that's really good. They lost their top wide receiver. They lost their top running back. They lost their top tight end, but they're returning a ton on defense. And Clemson has moved from a team that has to rebuild every three or four years to a team that just reloads every single year. And are they closer to a Notre Dame type who we thought would reload last year and stunk, or are they closer to the Bama's and FSU's who win nine or 10 games every single year? Uh, well, just look at the coach. So I, I think that's, that's the difference, right? So I have, I think Dabo is a lot different than what they have going up in South Bend right now. And I think he is reloading they have spent a ton of money, what, $50 million they did in that, that infrastructure build. Yep. They are bringing in high-end talent. The only thing that's a little bit interesting about this is both teams, and, and we're not getting, I'm not trying to get ahead of us, but there's potential for this to be a marquee matchup, which would actually be nice, win or loss, in that if we take care of our shit, then we could be coming in undefeated. They could be coming in undefeated. That said, we have WVU, which is probably the game I'm more concerned about of leading up to this. They have Auburn, who people are getting higher and higher on as the days go by, and then Louisville going up into this game. And that's going to be a top 10 potential team, and then a top 15, 20. I think Louisville will end up shaking up closer to 15 than 20. And this could be their third you know, top 20, 25 game uh, in their first five matchups. So even with their depth, that's a lot to take on early on in the season. So maybe that plays a little bit to our benefit. There's one, you know, to your point, and we always hear about this with Bama and, you know, Ohio State. They are, um, they've made exceptional strides in the recruiting department so the the problem with previewing games like this is they are recruiting talent that can play year one or that red shirts that nobody's seen and they can step on the field and really cause some havoc that you weren't expecting and it's really hard to scout leading into the game and that's my probably biggest concern about this is not knowing necessarily what they're going to be able to put on the field on the offensive side of the ball it's the ultimate wait-and-see game with regard to previewing it because for us, you're right, we're talking about Kelly Bryant, who we think will be the starter at quarterback for them, although 
They've got a five-star early enrollee that could win the job. Zarek Cooper, another dual threat. But there's going to be really big matchups in Auburn and Louisville, like you said, before they even play us. We're going to know so much more by the time this comes up with regard to their offense. I think their defense is going to be stellar from day one. I mean, their defensive line scares the crap out of me. There were parts of the game last year where they were just eating us alive. Dexter Lawrence and Christian Wilkins are just absolute beasts. I mean, Christian Wilkins, he plays, what, defensive tackle? He had 10 pass breakups from defensive tackle. That doesn't even like, make any sense. <laughs> he, I couldn't believe it when I read it. Like, the guy had, like, 12 tackles for loss, 13 tackles for loss, and 10 pass breakups. Like, he is in on the quarterback every single play. And Dexter Lawrence was the five-star, like, number one recruit in the country who – was on fire last year, you know? I mean, that defensive line alone could win you five or six games. And then they have tons of talent behind them. Uh, yeah, they lost Ben Bulware, the leading tackler and, and leading ball grabber in <laughs> FBS. <laughs> but, but they still have Kendall Joseph and Dorian O'Daniel, uh, Van Smith at strong safety, Ryan Carter at corner. I mean, this defense, top to bottom, is scary. Every level is scary. None scarier than the D-line, but, but damn, they're going to be top 10 in defense, if not top three. It's whether these question marks are offense are too much for them to overcome. Well, they have four starters coming back on the offensive line, and we have shaky defensive end talent right now. So unless Walker and Settle have a day and not even a day, like the game of their lives that they will ever, we're not going to get anything there. So now you're talking about game five. Yeah. Okay. They have a new quarterback, but he is going to have all the time in the world. And that's the only thing I will guarantee in this whole thing is we're not going to be getting much, much pressure. So unless our DBs and our linebackers are, really on point that game, they're going to be able to put up some yards and they're going to be able to put up some points. And mostly because I I really feel like their quarterback is going to have a lot of time to throw. And because, yeah, we're, we're strong at defensive tackle, but we're weak at defensive end. So I don't know what kind of pressure we're going to actually be able to put on these guys. So it's, it's a frightening matchup. I have it as a loss. Um, and if, I think with their talent, they're going to get up to speed in five games faster than we're going to get up to speed in five games. And that's the that's the scary part. Yeah, if 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 I had to bet on it, I would I would agree with you. But I don't think I think they're both going to be similar. I mean, I don't think the loss of Deshaun Watson can be overstated. I think people are all like, oh, they recruit five stars, you know, like. They'll be fine. It, the most important position on the field was a guy who's virtually irreplaceable. I mean, you're talking about Deshaun Watson himself is worth like four or five wins, you know, and they won 14 games last year. Uh, they're projected by Athlon to win 10 this year. There's your four games right there. I mean, Deshaun Watson is that freaking good. You cannot overrate that loss. The problem is we lost our leader. I mean, Evans... He was a little spasmatic at times, but every time we needed something big, he came through for us, and we don't have that. In that game against Clemson, we were dead in the water multiple times, and then guess what? We 
ran six straight quarterback draws and drove all the way down the field and scored a touchdown, and we were right back in it. Yeah. I mean, we both lost our leaders. We both lost our quarterbacks, and it will be a who can, you know, who gets their offense clicking and meshing faster and whoever that team is because for as good as Clemson's defense is, you take ours, which is pretty damn good, and you put it in a home field atmosphere, which will be crazy. It's not a wash, but it's it's pretty close. Both defenses are going to be stellar by this point in the season. Yeah. So it's the the it, offenses it, are probably not going to be stellar, but there's the chance that they could click a little bit faster, just given the talent they have, which is or maybe it, it you know there's always the potential that it doesn't. But if you throw a bunch of four and five stars on the fields, you know chances are you're going to mesh a little bit quicker. I would love to have this game push back three games to your point about ODU. If we had a little bit more lead time to get things just gelling and hot in the hand, get a couple ACC games in, in the way, then I would feel better about it. I just feel it's a couple games too early for, for us, which has me a little concerned. Yeah. I can't decide whether I'd want it earlier or later because it, it you know, it depend, it's just really going to come down to the quarterback, really. Like, if their quarterback clicks, they're going to be better than us. If our click, we're going to be better than them, I, I on offense anyway. Um, but regardless, it's going to be an awesome game. and I, It's going to be a great game. I really think it's going to come down. Instead of a touchdown, I think it's going to be a field goal this time. Yeah. Like, it's going to be it's going to be really close uh, just betting on both teams, getting their offenses going to a good degree, and the defense is playing at a high level at that point. It's going to be a field goal game. Yeah. And I'm hoping since we're at home that it's coming off the foot of Joey Sly. <laughs> That's not, right. And not them. If you get this if you get this W, this changes the whole the whole season for us. And that's not an understatement, that's just fact. I mean, that is they they may lose to Auburn. There's a chance. I don't think they're going to lose to Louisville. I that's just my suspicion. If you win this game, that's that's probably at that point going to be a top fifteen top fifteen win, and that's in the down case scenario. If they if they take care of business with Auburn and Louisville, that's probably a top five win. Yeah, but there's the other thing: if they lose to Auburn and Louisville, they got two losses coming to Blacksburg. <laughs> so it, it's it's I doubt that will happen. There, I don't even if they lose one of those games, I don't think they'll lose both. Yeah, I'd like to think that they're not going to be as good because they're going to be missing all these guys, but they're probably going to be pretty damn good. And maybe they don't finish the year top 10, but they're probably finishing top 15. I would be stunned if they don't. All right. The last game we're going to preview is Boston College. My favorite. And on four, yeah, <laughs> both of our favorites. Unfortunately, this year we have to go to Chestnut Hill. And Robbie so eloquently described their their game day atmosphere to us a couple years ago on our podcast. But it's like they lull you to sleep because there's nobody there and no one gives a crap. Yeah. And Adazio is still there. So I'm happy as a, a pig in, you know, whatever. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting season for BC. They're going to be they're going to be better this year. They can't. I don't think it's possible to be worse. And who knows what ends up happening on on the offense, but uh, Adazio has proven himself to be 
pretty much, I would put it at this point, a defensive mastermind. I mean, what he's been able, the discrepancy between their offense and their defense is stunning in in what they're recruiting on. They're not recruiting that much better on the defense, I think, than they are on the offense. But he manages to put it out on the field. I I think that this game is... I think it's a shoe and I think they after towels last year was a disaster and yeah, it just, well, how could he not be a disaster with Scott Leffler being his quarterback coach and offensive coordinator who, I mean, that was, that was a recipe for disaster. Yeah. That was not a good move on theirs, but I, I think they have Anthony Brown. I think he's an upgrade actually Patrick towels. I was not, I, he had an arm. He was kind of big, but other than that, he didn't really do much for me. He's a dual threat guy, which might give them a little bit more of an angle on the offensive side of the ball. And they really haven't had anybody that's been a quote unquote kind of dual threat for them in, in a while. So assuming that Brown takes the job, I think they can improve a little bit at the QB position. And, but I guess we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens there. I feel great about this game. I mean, last year we're talking about, a total offense of 127th in FBS, which is, I think, at that time, one notch above last place. And they still have Scott Leffler at the helm. So, you know, I think we'll be okay there. They have a good running back in John Hilleman. We've seen him before. Devon Jones. Uh, pretty loaded at wide receiver. Callanan, Michael Walker, Jeff Smith. And tight end Tommy Sweeney. I mean, they have a lot of weapons to throw to. I just don't believe that redshirt freshman Anthony Brown or Darius Wade, the guy who started a few years ago and got injured because their offensive line was so bad, will be able to get them the ball. They will be better than last year. Um, and I, you know, I guess I will take a little exception to what you said about them. They couldn't be worse. They were seven and six last year, yeah. and they won their bowl game. I think against Maryland. And their only, and I'll say this, bad loss was Syracuse, a team we also lost to. But listen to their other losses. Georgia Tech, Florida State, Clemson, Louisville, and Virginia Tech. I mean, they didn't lose to a truly garbage team last year. They were, they got better. You know, they got better as the season went on. Their only two losses in their last six games were, I think, Louisville and Florida State. And those were two really, really good teams last year. So... No, they're not good on offense. They they will be better, and they still won't be very good. But they have running backs. They have wide receivers. They should be steady at offensive line, which they haven't been in a long time. And the defense, which was ninth last year and number one the year before that, is going to be really damn good. It's always going to be good. They just they come back. Landry's back, who we talked about last year, and he was dangerous and will be dangerous this year. They have, uh, what is it, Connor Strachan? Or yes, or he's come, Stra- yeah, Strachan. Connor Strachan. He's back yeah. as well. They lose, who they only lost one person. Who was it that they lost that we talked about last year? It was um, Milano. Yes. Mike Milano. Yeah. And other than that, they have a lot returning. So if you get modest improvement on the offense, which you would hope would be the case with some offensive line consistency in the program. Uh, you know, I'm not saying they're going to take strides. I just think they're going to be able to put better product out on the field. And do I think that they have a chance in this 
game? I don't. I, I, honestly, I, I don't think so. I think the offense is still not very good. But their defense can cause teams fits, quite honestly. And that's just always a frustrating way to go into a game is knowing that that defense is probably going to be, what, top 15 again this year in, in most categories. And that's always just a frightening way to go into into a game because then you end up, we weren't low scoring last time we played them, but it gives you the potential for it to be a low scoring game. Yeah, I really, I don't know how we scored 49 points on them last year. It was just a waterfall. I think we had a 21 point third quarter and it got out. They got tired and they couldn't do anything on offense. And that and that changed a little bit for them throughout the year. Uh, we were on fire in the beginning. Of the year. I mean, we crushed ECU, we crushed BC. We were just killing people up until that Syracuse game. Um, but with the but de- you, the, like, defen- the decent offenses did well. So Clemson put up big points. Only four teams put up big points against them. It was us, Clemson, Louisville, and FSU. Well, big right. big surprise. <laughs> that that yeah. shouldn't be surprising to anybody. Um, but that that's really what it came down to is the the teams that you would expect to figure out a way to put up points on the board did that they went up against. Um, but if you find yourself without a quarterback like we had last year, which we have potential to, to be in that position, we don't know what we're going to end up putting on the field, then you can find yourself in trouble. I agree with you that they're going to be a top defense again. I, I actually wrote down they're going to be a top 10 defense again. They were nine last year and one the year before, like I mentioned. And they're going to definitely be top 10. They could be better. I mean, Harold Landry was the leader in sacks in the country last year. They were second in havoc rate, uh, which is tackles for loss, forced fumbles, and passes defended, divided by your plays. Only Michigan was better, which employs their former defensive coordinator, which has to burn them a little bit, Don Brown. But... It's amazing. I don't understand how they just keep turning over linebacker talent at BC. I mean, Keekley, Stephen Daniels, Milano, and now Connor Strachan. Strachan's amazing against the run, and that's where BC really thrives. Fortunately, we we don't choose to run the ball very much unless it's coming from the quarterback. Not anymore. So, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I think we'll be okay, but I think this is going to be closer than you think it is. Like I, I really think that we'll outlast them. But it's a way, it will be close, and then we might win by 10 or so. It's, it's going to be – I think it's going to be scary for about three quarters. I am nervous about this BC game. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous in their defense. I, I don't think they're going to put a productive, even close to productive – uh, I think they're going to put an FCS offense on the field once again. Jeez. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's been abysmal of what they've been able to. I to... know, I know. It depends on the on the QB, mm-hmm. and it would depend on the play calling and the play design. And we know the play calling and the play design is the same. So, and he's gonna really, he's uh, gonna overthink it like he always does. So, Luff, oh, Luff. absolutely, yeah. Let's take a quick beer break before we answer our Twitter questions. All right. What are uh, what are you drinking over there? I'm having the Pinehopple from Evolution Brewing Company. This is obviously a pineapple-flavored beer. It's the Pineapple IPA. And I've had this once or twice before. Wasn't terribly impressed, but 
it's tasting pretty good tonight. I it's just got a very slight hint of the fruit pineapple flavor. Six point eight percent alcohol. If I didn't know it was supposed to be pineapple flavored, I probably wouldn't know it. But I would be enjoying it as a you know leaning fruity IPA. The pineapple from Evolution Pine Hopple from Evolution Craft Brewing. It's pretty good. So I'm drinking a Deschutes beer, which we've had on here probably a couple times out of um, Bend, Oregon. It's the Abyss 2016 Reserve. It's a it's a, one of the big bottles. Um, it's a stout. Uh, it says with molasses and licorice, dried spice, spiced with cherry bark and vanilla bean. It's it's delicious. I've had it a couple times. It's one of those that I throw into my quasi beer cellar and pull out every once in a while and chill it a little bit. Um, you know, I don't drink a ton of Imperial Stouts, but this one is up there with probably kind of my top five that I, I go into. It's delicious. It's a lot to take down. It's heavy. You might as well not eat dinner if you're going after it, but I like it a lot, so it's worth trying out. Got a stout on the podcast. It's been a little while. I like it. So Hokey Barrick on Twitter asked us, can you rank the games on the schedule, half the season or whole, and rank the road trips on the schedule? And since we did the first half of the season tonight, let's rank those games in terms of toughness. And I'll I'll go first and give Robbie a chance to think about it. Clemson's got to be the number one tough game, the defending national champs. Super talented, amazingly tough defense, which that's always what has caused Virginia Tech problems over the years. Is not the strong offenses, the strong defenses. So Clemson's number one. West Virginia is a clear number two. And number three, you're choosing between Boston College and ODU. And I went with BC. I think that's really going to be tough, particularly because it's on the road and, and because of that tough defense. Fourth would be ODU. The fifth toughest would be ECU, and of course, sixth toughest would be Delaware. Robbie, did you have West Virginia or Clemson as our toughest game on the schedule? Uh, certainly Clemson. The only thing I reversed from your order is I think just given the timing and the team after having dug into it, I think the ODU game I would rank tougher than the BC game. And usually I'm, uh, I guess, more suspect to going up to – to Boston and playing well in that game, I just feel like this year, and especially after what we did last year against what was a exceptionally talented defense, I think we may have their number a little bit. So I'm going to take ODU and flop that with your, your BC pick. Everything else I would Fair. have the same. So in terms of the away games, we have five away games. At East Carolina, at Boston College, at Miami, at Georgia Tech, at UVA. I'll, I can start this one. I think it's all right. clear cut that, well, actually, you know what? It's not that clear cut. A lot of people are getting either higher or, or, or more excited about what Georgia Tech could do this year, just given some returning starters and, and things like that. Uh, I'm having trouble buying into the Miami hype like we all have because, well, they've never won the Coastal. So that's never that's not a, a good sign for them. But I do feel like they, under Mark Rick, this year they'll probably turn it on a little bit. I 
think that game in my mind is probably goes Miami, Georgia Tech, um, BC, uh, Virginia, and then ECU is how I'd have to rank top to bottom from hardest to, to easiest of, of weight games. Yeah, Miami was picked by Athlon to win the Coastal this year. So, you know, they're picking something that's never happened before, which isn't always the safest bet. Well, they've, they've <laughs> but, been picked many times in the past. So, Yeah. I agree with you that Miami's the toughest road game. They're going to have a good defense. And other than that four-game stretch last year where they were not very good at all and we were able to play them and crush them, they were undefeated. They had those four losses, but they won – the beginning of their season and the end of the season. Number the the second toughest I had is BC. You said Georgia Tech. I'm going with BC. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say that if BC gets adequate quarterback play, they're gonna win eight games this year. So that's my second toughest matchup in Chestnut Hill. Georgia Tech is a clear number three. UVA is number four. And ECU is number five, and that's the same ending as you had. So those are our games in terms of uh, toughness ranked, both the first six and the road games. And then the second question we got um, was at Hokie in Bama, how many of the 2017 class do you think will play this year, meaning our upcoming recruits? And this is something that we we talked about in – I guess it was our signing day pod and then maybe even our spring practice pod, but who we expect to play from the 2017 recruiting class. I think there are four clear ones that are going to play. Dalton Keene, I think we both agree, is going to play a ton. He had a good spring. He's going to be that H-back tight end type, and he's going to play a ton. Caleb Farley, the standout who... Switched to wide receiver at the end of spring practice, but we thought could play and has blazing speed. He's going to play. Devin Hunter, he is going to play. Our best recruit in the class, our rover of the future, he will play. And my fourth is Khalil Pimpleton. Uh, Everything I've seen, early enrollee, uh, stud, he is going to play. Robbie, did I did I get four of the guys that you were going to say at least? Yeah, you just screwed me over. So uh, yeah, <laughs> no, but I think I there's a couple. Th- I didn't more, think though. you would go Pimpleton, so I'm that that kind of just cut my legs out from underneath me. Um, if I had to go beyond that, maybe Du Bois or Porcher gets a shot, and, and that's probably not playing. That's probably <laughs> subbing in every once in a while. But that beyond that, I don't think anybody else is gonna is is gonna touch the field very much, if at all. Um, those would be my two flyers beyond the four that you mentioned, because those were the four I had. I would agree with Debose. I think that that's how I think it's pronounced. I'm not sure, but De, uh, Zion Debose, he is enrolled in school. He did qualify. I think there were some questions about that, but he is in and he plays defensive tackle. And beyond our, you know, Walker and Settle, and Gerard Hewitt is making noise as the, maybe the third defensive tackle there, but Darius Fullwood rotated in. DeBose will have a shot, so I think that's a good pick. But the one we neither of us mentioned and has to be met is Hooker. I mean, Hooker yeah. could potentially be our starting quarterback. The reason I didn't mention him is because we don't know. But if he is, he immediately skyrockets to the number one impact player for any of these recruits, obviously. 
Um, and Dylan Rivers, I, I wrote as the seventh because Tavante Beckett looks like he's going to be the backup Mike. We won't need Dylan Rivers this year, but he's so talented and so good that maybe he would force his way onto the field at some point. But yeah, I mean, I love gonna Rivers, be- but it, it's that is a position that I feel very strongly that we are going into <laughs> with with some confidence this year. Then again, there's also the injury factor. You know, you never know what's going to end up happening on the field. So we're I'm not taking into account potential injuries or things like that. If somebody goes down, then you could see him hit the field. But right now, if our starters are 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 all humming, I don't I don't see any reason why we're going to end up using him this year. Yeah, running back is the only one I really went back and forth on because we have McLeese and we have McMillan and we have uh, Stephen Peoples. But Wheatley, who was there already, and Holston, Jalen Holston, who's coming in, a very highly ranked recruit, guys the coaches absolutely love, I would think that they're going to get some carries. I don't know how much impact they'll be able to have in year one, but I would suspect that one of Wheatley or Holston is going to get a chunk of carries. Yeah. I, I just, I don't think it's necessarily going to be an impact type thing, but it could be. Yeah. All right. I think that's everything for today's podcast. We covered a lot of ground. We talked for a long time. It was, it was um, long. So we apologize, but there's a lot to get through. And this is always our longest segment of the year because it's, we try and split it in half. So it's just two and two, but you end up going through six full games and it's, that's yeah. rough. I think last year we even split it into three because it just it just got so long. But uh, but if you made it through the end, thank you for listening. We will be previewing the next six teams in a couple weeks. We're hopefully going to be bringing you a podcast in between uh, with a guest. But we will elaborate more when it's actually happening. Yeah. How about that? And I think that's right. But if you do have any questions for anybody that does – things around previews or anything along those lines. We usually try and get somebody on that, um, you know, can address those from one of the national magazines or does coverage for them. So if you do have questions that you want from an ACC perspective, a national perspective, shoot them over to us and we'll keep them in our back pocket, assuming that we'll get somebody on. I think we're on, on the hot lead for, for getting a good guest here sometime shortly. And thank you to at Hokie Barrick, who I know is a regular listener, and at Hokie and Bama for your questions. We greatly appreciate them. So remember to subscribe on iTunes and write us a review if you want. And we are on Twitter. It's at 2DeepVT. You can email us any questions as well at 2DeepVT at gmail.com. And you can always find every single podcast on 2DeepVT.com. And until next time, go Hokies.